Hi, this is Aileen from the Utajua Hujue podcast. A little heads up, I do swear a lot. As you can remember, it's not about the quantity, it is about the quality. And I am a quality swearer. So if it's not your thing, or if you're a little too young, you have a choice to make. And for those who don't mind, let's start the show. But if Gossip Girl has taught me anything, where there is incredible wealth, there will be no limits on appropriate and acceptable behavior. Hello and welcome back to the Utojuo Fujui podcast. It is me, your girl Aileen, and I am so happy to be streaming directly into your brains today. Um, I have missed you guys and I really miss doing this and let's get right into it shall we? Um, today we will be drinking Capri Sweet Red because you know bougie on a budget and we'll be drinking it because usually I drink it out of the box and I just edit those sounds out but today we'll be drinking it from a thermos because you know we're trying to be a little bit classy a little less ashy <laughs> and uh, yeah and also it'll prevent any spills from taking a place because I am clumsy and uh, just slight tangent um, one of my my traditional African name like one of its meanings is is basically the person who spills milk <laughs> so I think my clumsiness was ordained from my birth I'm pretty sure I, I slipped out of the womb <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway so today I will talk about Lord Delamere and the Happy Valley set like I know I know Last week, I got super reflecty and reconsidered the centering of colonialism in this podcast. Let's learn about our boy, Lord Delamere, and his little social club called the Happy Valley Set. Um, as for why I find this story important, it's because... Um, well, it's for three reasons. So first, I wanted the opportunity to further examine the lives of the European settlers that came to Kenya. Um, I wanted to understand what made them completely uproot their lives in their home countries to come to what was basically the Wild West. <laughs> um, and I also want to better understand, uh, or rather better examine the kind of shit they got up to because it is it is wild. Like towards the second half of this podcast, I'm going to just run like go through a list of 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 their shenanigans and it is incredibly reminiscent <laughs> of the wolf of wall street do you know like 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 not early jordan but like late jordan when he's making 52 million when he's just shy of making 52 million dollars a year <laughs> in the 1980s mind you so um but i think more importantly i uh the happy valley is is in yeri it's 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 where the abadeas are and it is absolutely stunning it is it is gorgeous and um i've often heard that the beauty of the valley is often juxtaposed by the behavior of the settlers so today we will be examining that completely so today we will see kenya through their eyes a colony with the essential three d's dick drink and drugs but let's before we get to the actual Happy Valley set, let's begin with their ringleader, Lord Delamere. Lord Delamere was born Hugh Cholmondeley, the third Baron of Delamere in 1870, and he was privileged personified. From a young age, he had everything a young schoolboy could want, and he went to Eton College, which is a public school. Now, this is something that I had to learn the hard way when I went to the UK, and people were like, oh, you know, public schools are doing this, public schools are doing that. I'm like, 
public schools are like your public schools are fancy and they're like oh no 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 by public school we mean like a really rich um, school where aristocrats and really wealthy people send their children. So that so that's that's what a public school is in the UK. Um, as for how to explain Eton, well, I just want you to. I'm just going to give you a moment while I sip, and I want you to envision Britain, right? So let me just. Do you have an image in mind? You you, you have it. You have it. Hold on, holding on to it tight. So when I think of Britain, I think of snootiness. I think of condescension. I think of proper accents. I think of suits and top hats. Um, and I think of also think of colonial ambition, and that's Eton. Eton is Britain personified, right? Or rather, Eton is the British ruling class personified. And since you know the British ruling class are, you know, the ruling class, they end up dictating British policy. So you know, um, he wanted to enter the army, but he gave up these dreams um, after the death of his father on the first of August, eighteen eighty-seven. Oh, I'm sorry. If if you guys are hearing like other sounds around me, the house is being deep cleaned, and um, yes, I am still in the podcasting closet, but. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's, there's really not much I could do about the cleaning sounds. Um, so back, back to the story. Um, I will be relying heavily on Nicholas Best and his amazing book, Happy Valley, the story of the English in Kenya. Of Lord Delamere, he says that he was an idle and stupid schoolboy. His main achievement at Eton had been to wreck a boot shop in Windsor and throw the boots all over the street. As you can tell, Nicholas Best is not kind to Delamere, and he has actually dubbed him as arrogant, feckless, reckless, and rich. He recalls a story in which Delamere once placed a single bet with the, with three thousand pounds or four hundred and four thousand pounds today or worth 60 million shillings. This was the 17-year-old boy who inherited his family's estate uh, when his father died. The estate included family land that had been with the family since 1615. All in all, about 7,000 acres, which is about the size of Karen today. Um, And it would be another decade before he found himself in Kenya. That would be in 1897. Prior to this, Delamere had been making annual hunting trips into Africa's interior from 1891. And in 1896, on one of these expeditions, Delamere decided to cross into British East Africa from Somaliland. And in 1897, he arrived in the green highlands of Kenya. He saw the Laikipia Plateau, the Abadeas, and a light bulb went off in his head like, bing! The area seemed empty and therefore available. But you know how I feel. <laughs> you genuinely know how I feel about like about settlers being like, well, this area is empty. I don't see any people here. So it must be free. Like, that's not the way it works. That's never that's never been the way it worked. <sighs> anyway. However, in the meantime, he returned to England to fulfill his societal duty, which is get married and have preferably a son. Because, you know, this was the early 20th century. Um, in 1899, Delamere got married to Florence Ann Cole, and later that year, they returned to Kenya. So remember, Kenya had become a British East Africa, Kenya had been folded into the British East Africa Protectorate in 1895. Um, so by 1899, there were, there were 512 miles of railway that had been laid, and the British were looking for colonizers to recuperate the costs. We discussed this in episode two, where we talked about Kenya Vision 1920. Check out the episode in case you haven't heard it before. So, they returned to England soon after in the in 1900 and Delamere became a father. However, two years was all he could bear in England and so he returned to Kenya in 1902. But he soon suffered a riding accident that rendered him stuck in Nairobi for a year. 
in this year, he had time to reconsider his position on Kenya and he went all in. He raised mortgages on his ancestral home and auctioned off a number of pieces of artwork that had been in the family for literally generations. Um, for him, this was an easy choice. Um, it was easy for him to choose um, Kenya over England because I think, to my mind, um, Kenya represented the opportunity and the potential that was kind of lacking in England. Whereas in England, his life was made. He, whereas England, he was a made man. In Kenya, he would have to make himself into that man. And I think that challenge for somebody who seemingly has as much energy as Delamere proved, you know, irresistible. Um, so the money he raised from all these uh, financial moving arounds was enough to buy him a piece of land from the British. Um, the first time he tried, he was denied because it was too far from any white population. The second time he um, he tried getting a piece of land in Naivasha, but he was denied because the government was worried that his settlement may ignite conflicts with the Maasai tribesmen. And you know what they say, third time's the charm. The third time he applied, he received a 99-year lease on 100,000 acres for a rent of £200 a year, or about £24,000 a year in today's money. He was also expected to spend at least £5,000 or £611,000 on the property within five years. Um, quick fact, the current Delamers who live in Kenya, they still live on that land, and they still, they're still paying rent to the Kenyan government. Like, it's not theirs. It's, de it's still a lease. I didn't, like, that's, that's pretty cool, right? Um, anyway, by 1906, he had one of the greatest land holdings in Kenya, and he was flourishing, honey. Um, but not immediately. Um, as he toiled the land and built his version of Kenya from the ground up, um, he came to represent the Cecil Rhodes of Kenya, and the settlers would follow him both politically and spiritually. In many aspects, Delamere embodied the many contradictions of the East African settler. Remember, whilst remember he had gained, remember he had gone on expedition, um, he had gone on annual expeditions into Africa's interior from 1891 to 1897, and in that time he had gained immense respect for the Somalis, and this respect extended to the Maasai's. But he was equally a fierce proponent for white minority rule in Kenya, not to mention an anti-Semite, as we discussed in episode two. His fierce uh, support for white minority rule in Kenya makes sense given the amount of money he had invested in the farm and also the culture that you know bred him um, uh, but also it it also tells us something really interesting about racist people right um, often racist people will think they're not racist because oh, oh sorry often racist people tend to have like one black friend or like one Jewish friend or one like one Muslim friend and they'll tend to have like really good relations with like one person but still think negatively of the race as a, as a whole um like for example um hitler actually helped smuggle out a jewish doctor to the u.s um I don't think many people don't think many people knew that. Um, anyway, the extension of European civilization was itself a desirable thing. Delamere wrote in 1927. He continues to say the British race was superior to the heterogeneous African races, only now emerging from centuries of relative barbarism. The opening up of new areas by means of genuine colonization was to the advantage of the world. Like he was gung for the colonial project um and we discuss and like we already know what my feelings are about you know the presumption that africans were inherently and civilized and that the europeans were an, and that the europeans were an inherently civilizing force like y'all know what i think about that already so i'm not going to hash 
hash it through again because there's a lot that we need to get through today um but to you know drive but to drive the nail in the head delamere can best be uh characterized as a man who desperately wanted white minority rule in kenya he's quoted to have said i'm going to prove to you all that this is a white man's country so first he was incredibly proactive in recruiting settlers to east africa promising colonists or settlers 640 acres this convinced about 200 people to come on down he also persuaded the landed gentry in the uk to amass large estates in kenya and thus the happy valley set was born they resided in the Wanjohi region, near the Abadea mountain range, and Nyeri was their base. So let's begin talking about the Happy, the Happy Valley set and why they were called that. The first white settler in this area was Geoffrey Buxton, who arrived in 1906. Upon his arrival, he built a mud and brick house, and a few years later, he built his first English-styled house in the Happy Valley. Um, and that's something interesting that I didn't realize when I was doing my research, that a lot of these settlers like, didn't come intending to build these large grand estates that we now associate with the wealthy of the colonial era. But for but in the very beginning of, of their colonial journeys, they did live in mud and brick houses. Um, like Lord Delamere himself, for example, lived in a mud and brick house. The inside was furnished, you know, to English aristocratic tastings, but the outside was a mud and brick house. And that's pretty... I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that at all. Um, back to describing the Happy Valley set. So the, so the soldier settlement scheme of 1919 saw further allocation of land in British East Africa, with 99 and non, 999 year leases being offered to settlers of pure European origin who had served in an, in an officially recognized imperial service unit. This was an attempt to increase the white population while bringing economic development in the area, but it was also about protection because there were threat because because there was this new threat of African unrest after those who had fought in World War One had easily seen how um, white men could be killed. So the scheme attracted plenty of old Etonians. The war had interrupted the careers of a whole generation, but their settlement in Africa eased their passage to peace and gave them an added attraction of retaining the status among uneducated Africans. <clears throat> so naturally, the Africans were to be the servant class, and they were expected to act like proper English domestic servants, and they were treated as such. According to Nicholas Best, the new arrivals also brought their ancestral pastimes with them, hunting, shooting, fishing, gymkhanas, polo, grooms, gun dogs, all the country pursuits of the English gentry. That's, you know, pretty cool. So, like, they also imported their culture into Kenya um, as, 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 a, as a means of, I don't know, make maybe being able to feel better about themselves as a way of retaining a sense of familiarity in, in what was essentially the unknown. So let me tell you a little bit about Kenya in these days. Um, Kenya, like I said, was a, was like the Wild West. Um, you know that feeling you get when you think of Virginia in 1607 or Natal in South Africa in 1840s? That feeling of curiosity, fear, but also this unbridled optimism. And like those places, Kenya in the 1890s, sorry, and like those places, Kenya between the 1890s and 1910s was a frontier town. People sank or swam depending on their achievements. Out in the Abadeas, what mattered was your ability to survive and build something new, not your money or status. 
it was this it was this climate that the settlers blamed for their weapons grade hedonism it was a view supported by sir joseph barcroft um, and his research in the andes his research revealed a definite tendency for people working at high altitudes to become temperamental and quarrelsome which is a better way which is which is a much kinder way of saying um, if you live in if you live in places with high altitudes, you you are about to be a messy ass bitch, <laughs> um, which explains why I'm so chilled because like I'm from Mombasa. And Mombasa is genuinely sinking all the time. Oh God, global warming. <gasps> but before we delve deeper into those feelings of existential dread, let us return to the story. Um, Barcroft's research basically suggested that the climate was to blame for the alcoholism, the hedonism, and and all the shenanigans that were going around in that in that place right um it's like saying it's it's like blaming alcohol for all the shit going on in your life but still buying a body on the way home one because it's because it's friday like i get it because i do the same thing but i do but i buy my body on thursday you know there is a difference <laughs> out in the little slice of heaven that was the wanjohi region the white settlers behaved like all hell but it wasn't just in the Abadeas. Their activities often prompted the question, are you married or do you live in Kenya? <laughs> no, I'm just laughing because imagine, 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 imagine Kenya being used as a shorthand for the opposite of married. Like not just that you're single, but that because you live in Kenya, you are somehow more than single. And I don't know what that means, but I will try to explain it to you guys. Um, the hedonism of the white settlers, of not, not, not all the white settlers, but a specific group of them, extended to the entire nation. But Mudaiga Country Club was the focal point of the Happy Valley set in Nairobi. And yes, I do mean the pink country club surrounded by embassies, high commissions, and Kenya's well-to-do. Throughout the 1920s, the club was a mecca for the well-bred, slightly weak, male faces bounding off the Mombasa boat in the certain knowledge that all Kenya women do. <laughs> so basically, they came Basically, they came from Mombasa to Nairobi, DTF. <laughs> DTF, ready, ready to clown, ready to get it all but you can just hear marvin gaze <laughs> sexual healing reverberating through time to reach the white settlers in the 1920s just being like sexual healing uh. anyway however behind this mecca lay a dark reality that chips away at that happiness so before i run down a list of their behavior i'm pretty sure at this point you're wondering why i decided to start with lord delamere when i could have easily started my story at the happy valley set right so i started with lord delamere because he is the white colon the white kenyan colonial settler embodied he he is like peak happy valley set and i found it for me important to start with him the kind of political and spiritual leader of the white settlers in Kenya as, as, as a nice little gateway into the culture of the Happy Valley set. That idea of I am white and I am in Kenya and I can do whatever the fuck I want. Because, and that idea also persists through to, through to the modern day because I remember, I remember, I've often said that it must be nice to be white and in Kenya because I've never ever seen a white person who wasn't in Kenya who also like wasn't generally happy um the white settlers in Kenya were fully embodied by Lord Delamere 
And I started this story off with him because I thought it important to, you know, meet the progenitor of that culture, meet the person who embodied it the best. And now let us discuss some of the consequences of that culture. So I will run down a list of the behavior of the Happy Valley set. Um, Adultery was the first defining trait of the Happy Valley set. Each time Beryl Markham took a new lover, her husband, Alexander Jock Purves, Purves, um, hammered a six-inch nail into a wooden frame of their front door. And the fact that somebody felt the need to record this means to me that he was petty enough to do it all the time, which means there is a point in their house, I suspect, where that entire door was just full of nails. And she and they were just like, yeah, let's just, let's just get a new door. Because like, like Alexander, poor old Alex, was running out of space to, to keep, like, I don't know, sex shaming his wife. <laughs> Um, um, another another Happy Valley setter, Jack Soames, was a voyeur, a, a, you know, a peeping Tom, who drilled holes into the ceilings of his bedrooms to watch his copulating guests. Oh, Lord. At Clouds, a lodge of the Abadeas, they played the sheet game. <laughs> I'm sorry. A sheet would be strung across the drawing room ha- and half a dozen men would poke their penises through strategically seated holes in the sheet. (laughs) And the woman on the other side would select their favorite appendage. (laughs) This is wild. Okay, I I know that I wrote this, but having to read it out loud just makes it all the more funny to me that there were, that there are literally people that, like, like, this was their life. It's like, oh, honey, where are you going? Oh, I'm just going to the clouds. Are you going to play the sheet game? Yeah, I'm going to play the sheet game. All right, don't forget to use protection. All right, love you. Love you too. <laughs> it's like it's like eyes wide shut, but like every day of the week, you know? <laughs> anyway, Lady, an- another Happy Valley setter, Lady Edina Sackville, ran off to Kenya with her lover, the future Lord Errol, uh, in 1923. Yes, that Lord Errol, future murder victim with a restaurant named after him. But we will get to him eventually. Lady Edina was the MC for the clan. According to Nick Scott in his article on the Happy Valley set for the rake, and I quote, she would welcome her guests to her spouse-swapping soirees, naked in a bathtub made of green onyx, then gracefully put on garments that would probably stay on for all of two hours in front of them. Not gonna lie, Lady Edina, that is class i'm sorry but like that 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 is a damn fucking mood it's it's such a power play to me it just rings of such confidence like bravo lady edina especially especially in 1920s bra the fuck vo lady edina um and if reported to believed lady edina also worked through the male settler population of east africa with inc- with incredible zeal and like don't get it twisted i am not slutching lady edina far from it i find her antics amusing because like i said it's not what i expect from a woman in the 1920s like the roaring 20s were out and about and the women were getting more free they were like you know we've all watched great gatsby but we still have this pervas- per- pervading notion that like that kind of lifestyle was only for the rich and the famous. A lot of regular people held on to middle class morality. I think one time I should do an episode on the origins of middle class morality because it is a social construct that has destroyed a lot of people's lives and kept families apart. But before I get to you know drafting that potential episode, let us discuss or let us discuss the second defining trait of the Happy Valley set: alcohol. And we'll fold drugs in here too. Um, Kiki Preston 
um, whose real name was Alice Gwine, was an American socialite. She was nicknamed the girl with the silver syringe due to, her, due to her habit of mainlining Afghanistan's finest opium without, without the slightest regard for anyone around her observing what she was doing. She would often charter an airplane to pick up fresh heroin supplies and has the dubious distinction of introducing her favorite mind vendors to one of her many lovers, Prince George, Duke of Kent, Queen, Elizabeth's, Queen Elizabeth II's first cousin. Um, oh yeah, like, uh, in case you weren't aware, a lot of the royals do come to Kenya. Like, um, I think it has a special place in at least this this iteration of the royal family because in 1952, Queen Elizabeth found out she was going to be queen whilst she was in Kenya. Um, Philip has also made many solo visits to Kenya himself. Um, William proposed to Kate while she was in Kenya at a Maasai Mara lodge that is stunning, but also so out of my price range, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um uh, so let me move on. Um, Frank Greswold Williams was also a man too rotund and invariably inebriated to be part of the Happy Valley sexual shenanigans. He was the chief drug supplier. He was the plug. If you wanted something, he got it. So now we move on to the third defining trait of the Happy Valley set. Um, and for want of a better word, I will call this straight antics. For example, once Lord Delamere shot, shot golf balls onto the roof of the Mudaiga Club. Another time, he rode a horse into the Nairobi Norfolk Hotel and carried out an impromptu steeplechase vaulting over tables. Oh, Lord. Um, Jack Soames, um, like I said, was also the guy that liked to drill holes in his ceilings to watch people fuck. And Lord Errol. Um, where Delamere was political head of the Happy Valley set, Jocelyn Hay, a.k.a. Lord Errol, was the unelected social head. In 1914, his body was discovered kneeling in the front passenger footwell of his car with a bullet wound behind the ear in the outskirts of Nairobi. In fact, a number of Happy Valleyers died in tragic ways. Kiki Preston committed suicide, as did Countess Alice de Jasney. Um, sorry, Alice de Jansey. There we go. In fact, all the fun they had seemed to mask something far sadder because drinking, sex, and drugs are all fine, but if that's your life, that's hardly a full life. It often signals that something is very wrong or incomplete or unfulfilling. And as I was doing my research, the sensationalism with which the Happy Valley set are often um, reported reminds me of child stars um, and the fact that like their lives are covered with such glee and rapacious interest like they are a product on the shelf like the, like they're the new iPhone but no one ever wants to look deeper um, and I think we all know why because if we did we would either see a reflection of ourselves or we would see how we have contributed to their scandalous behavior um, but more importantly, looking deeper beyond their looking deeper into their actions and into their shenanigans would would demand something from us that I think we don't want to give. It would require seeing the humanity beyond their actions, uh, antics to see that it was not born from an absence of worries or an abundance of wealth, but because of the presence of those same worries, fears, anxieties, and the and the fact that they had the wealth to suppress them. For example, Alice de Janze displayed signs of severe depression as a child. Lady Edina had lost contact with her children as a result of her behavior, and another allowed her children to be tormented, like literally tormented, whilst they watched. I really don't think that they were happy people, um, and 
and even in the untouched beauty of the of the valley and in Kenya, they were not happy. And all and you know what they say about you know misery loving company, which leads me to the question of why, as a group, they were called the Happy Valley Set. If clearly they were not happy. Um, and I have several theories on this, but my first is the fact that they presented as happy, that the that the valley, that Nyeri was this hedonistic capital where you could do whatever the fuck you wanted and you could, you know, make a play at happiness, even if temporarily. But second, I also think that initially the, the feeling that they got from Kenya did elicit some, 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 some feeling of happiness that, that they kept chasing into their colonial journeys. Um, even even Karen Blixen, for example, who was also a member of the Happy Valley said, was a part of these shenanigans, was a part of these parties, was a part of these antics. And like if 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 you were to read the some of her diaries, if you were to dig deeper into her life, um, she the there were some like she was not like there were moments in her life where she was not happy. And a majority of those moments tended to coincide with when she was in Kenya. Unfortunately, the company of the Happy Valley set was to be in short supply. In, 19, in 1933, Lord Delamere died from angina and his descendants still live in Kenya. The death, furthermore, the death of Lord Errol sparked the end of the valley, as did Kenya's independence in 1963. Um, however, the activities did not stop, but the characters merely changed. Um, the pastimes that they partook in as part of the elite in Kenya are now, you know, still being done by the elite in Kenya. But it's just that, you know, the elites are now Africans or Asians. Unfortunately, I can't prove this myself because I'm literally too broke to know. But if Gossip Girl has taught me anything where there is incredible wealth, there will be no limits on appropriate and acceptable behavior. Um, so I think that's the end of my story, but as you know, we like to be reflective and introspective in this podcast. Um, and as I was drafting the script, I kept wondering if this podcast is centering white stories and white history. Um, it is no surprise that it has always both intrigued and frustrated me that African history is necessarily defined by what happened to her as her Africa is, as, as her history is, is defined in three stages, pre-colonial, colonial, and post-colonial. It is retelling the story of her oppression and in in retelling the story of her oppression, you kind of get this feeling that there is no agency, that things happened to us. So in focusing the story, in focusing on the colonial oppressors, am I perpetuating the centrality of whiteness in African history? Am I perpetuating white privilege in reaffirming their centrality to, their centrality to world events? To be honest, I don't know because it's it's too it's far too simple to answer in absolutes because for better or worse our history has been defined by colonialism it fundamentally changed our trajectory our culture and our self-image both in our resistance to it and our and and in our oppression by it african states would literally not exist in their current form were it not for some drunk European bureaucrats drawing random lines on a map, the Kikuyu and me is strong. (laughs) I'm not sure if you caught that. I was about to say random, but anyway. But um, we are so much more than that. We are more than the shit we have endured, and we are more, and we have the potential to be more than we are now. 
Granted, my comfort with admittedly white history stems from the fact that I am more comfortable in white spaces. To the extent that I believed the lie that whiteness was to be normal and that I, by virtue of my blackness, was abnormal. And from a pragmatic perspective as well, when it comes to research, I am more able to get the information I need because African history has necessarily been overshadowed. Because if a people can't tell their own story, that story can be co-opted and the narrative can be reshaped to serve the needs to serve the needs of others. Um, which is why, for the longest time, Africans and Black people by proxy are considered to be uncivilized, and we are now still considered to be uncivilized um, by certain racist people. For example, Donald Trump. But all this does is take me to the question I posed earlier. Is this podcast centering white white stories and white history? Perhaps this was the wrong question to ask. I think a better question uh, would be, what can this podcast do to highlight African stories and African histories? How can I live my life this way as well um and 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 this is where i and where i need your help as 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 an audience so um thank you for listening and i do hope i've given you something to think to think about um i believe in you and your dreams you know provided your dreams aren't genocidal or a dream of a white ruled uh world um or you know generally involve you being a giant fucking asshole so here's to you and your potential cheers Here's to African history, and here's to taking steps in decentralizing white stories in African history. Um, you know what? That would have been a great place to end, but I am a numpty. <laughs> also, one of my favorite like quintessential British insults is, is calling someone a numpty because like it's cute. It's a cute way to call them stupid. Like it's a cute way to call them like a little bit ignorant. Like I was, I've been a numpty. So I, I. I have been a numpty and I forgot to add this to my outro. So I had two options. I could either tack this onto the end of every episode or record a new outro. So guess what I chose? So if you like this episode, please share it with everyone and their mothers. If not, that's okay too. I would love to know why and what you would like to hear about. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Jujua Hujui podcast. I am so happy to have been able to converse with you today. If you would like to suggest a topic or give me feedback or just talk to me about whatever you find interesting, you can find me on at utajuahujui.pod on Instagram. That is at U-T-A-J-U-A-H-U-J-U-I.pod on Instagram. Um, you can also find this podcast on Spotify, Google Pocket Cast, wherever you can find these podcasts. Thank you so much for listening and I really do wish the best for you.